If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com And it's not really important to understand those algorithms and how they work. All you really need to understand is you can't go backwards. It's a one-way function from private to public to Bitcoin address. There is absolutely no way to go from Bitcoin address back to public and back to private. Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host Ferris, that's me, and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our full disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be in the world today. We are on episode 16 of our 30 days of Bitcoin. Uh, It is April the 6th today, and I am Ferris, your host, along here with Gordon. Gordon, how are we doing? And can you tell us what time it is in crypto world and what Bitcoin is up to now? Block time. The block time is 624,646, according to blockstream.info explorer. Price of Bitcoin is down a whopping $12 since we last did a podcast at $7,054, according to Bitstamp. So today's question is actually um, a follow-up on our previous podcast. It was a tech-heavy question, and we've um, devoted two sessions to it. So we... If you haven't listened to episode 15, please go back and revisit that. But Gordon, let's replay the question, and we are tackling the first half of it in this episode. We tackled the second half in the previous episode. Hi, my name is Kevin, and I'm currently taking computer science under the IB diploma. And the question I had was about the security of the Bitcoin. Correct me if I'm right, but I believe that the Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer network in order for everyone to work. And I know that there is the SHA-256 that ensures the security of the network. And I was wondering uh, how you could explain more deeply into how, even though all networks are connected together, how it technically is more secure and how no one has access to each other's information, even though there is a peer-to-peer network. So yeah. All right, so Gordon, this is another question basically designed for you. Um, so what is SHA-256? Is he the guy that fought Alexander the Great? <laughs> it could have been, yeah, one of the 256 of those. Um, so, yeah, this is another question from our uh, computer science student, so... I will try to remain on the fairway, Faris, and uh, unlike last episode, I'll watch for you and your questions. So SHA-256, and I'm going to use a lot of technical terms here, but I will explain them. So SHA-256 is what we call a cryptographic hash function, and uh, that may sound gobbledygook to most people, but I will explain that in a second. In terms of Bitcoin, so that's been around SHA-256 or SHA has been around for 30 years and it stands for Secure Hashing Algorithm. And in Bitcoin, it's used in two ways. One way is in mining. 
So we mentioned in a previous episode that we have this puzzle that people need, well, Bitcoin miners need to solve every 10 minutes. And the example was using a Rubik's Cube or maybe a, a, you know, a 10-sided or 20-sided or something enormously complicated. And so it took computers around about 10 minutes to solve that. Once they've solved that, you can easily verify it. So we've got something that's fairly difficult to solve, but very easy to verify. And SHA-256 actually enables uh, the network to verify that someone isn't cheating, someone hasn't given a false result, that no, that is actually the Rubik's Cube, it's being solved, it's actually the correct result. And I'm not going to go into that because it doesn't really solve a lot of purpose in terms of going into the mining, because that really gets into the weeds. But the most important thing is the... Yes, Faris. So just with that, Gordon, so an example I like to use, and tell me if this is a good one or if I'm, if I'm way off topic, is the Enigma machines that um, the Germans used in World War II. It was most recently popularized in the film The Imitation Game. And essentially, um, this basically was developed by Alan Turing, who ended up you know, being the godfather of what became the computer. So anyone who unfamiliar with um, the Enigma machine, please watch that film, because it, from my understanding, it kind of explains that really, really well, how you actually break a code. Is that the foundations of what is a cryptographic hash? Um, no, it's actually the complete opposite. So in the Enigma code, they were getting a code that was encrypted and using brute force and a series of computers and calculations, they were trying to break the code into normal plain English. Well, a cryptographic hash function, which I'll explain in a second, is actually going the reverse way. It's actually going into something encrypted. So as I said before, um, in the Bitcoin networks, it's used in two ways. One is mining, so verifying that the Rubik's Cube is solved. And the second way, and probably more importantly, is to do with Bitcoin addresses and how they are created. So a lot of um, mathematicians and uh, cryptographers are going to uh, have their ears bleed in the next couple of minutes as I explain this. And I know I'm, I'm simplifying it. But essentially, a cryptographic hash function is a one-way process. So going back to our wallet series, a Bitcoin's wallet main role is to generate private keys, so like our password, into public keys and Bitcoin addresses, like our email address or our bank account numbers, something that's public and something that's shared. And one of the ways that it does it, and there is actually two separate projects, processes, but I'm simplifying it, is to use what's called a cryptographic hash function. Now, a simple way of thinking about this is that you've got some kind of input, and I know I'm taking everyone back to uh, elementary algebra, you know, those exam questions, solve for x, x equals 3a plus um, 2ab kind of thing. That's basically what it is. And it takes some sort of input of a random size, so you're not sure what the input is, and it generates an output of fixed length. And that output of fixed length happens to be a Bitcoin address. So let me give you a really, really simple example. 
Let's say everyone had a Bitcoin address of three digits. So Faris's your Bitcoin address is 333. Someone else's is 695. Someone else's is 909. My Bitcoin address is 100. All right. Well, that's my public Bitcoin address, my email address. It's not my password. So you could say, and you could try and guess, all right, well, how did, how did he get that Bitcoin address of 100? What were the inputs when we're talking about this hash function, what are the inputs that could generate a result of 100? And so you could say, well, that was that's easy. It's 50 plus 50 or 49 plus 51 or 100 plus zero or 200 minus 100. You can see even with a three-digit number, there are maybe a thousand possibilities, addition, subtraction, division, or whatever. So even just a three-digit number is almost virtually impossible to do what the Enigma machine was and reverse engineer the actual original input. So if you think of a Bitcoin address being 30, 34 to 36 digits and characters, uppercase, lowercase, and numbers, it's virtually impossible for someone to reverse engineer from their Bitcoin address, well, what is their private key? So that's what a cryptographic hash function does. It takes some sort of random input, which isn't random, but it, it is for the purposes of this demonstration, 50 plus 50, and it generates a fixed length of three digits output. Even with that, um, it's virtually impossible to reverse engineer. So it's a one-way function. You have an input and it results in an output. Do you want to learn how to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins? Coincompass.com is running a free two-hour webinar on Sunday, 31st of May. To register and for more details, visit coincompass.com forward slash webinar. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. So with the example you just gave and everything you're saying, let's just say you have a lock or a keyhole in a door and you create, you basically put the mold in there and you create the key to go in. But as soon as something in the door lock changes, that key won't work. Um, kind of, yeah, kind of. It's, it's, it's not so much about changing. It's more about the fact that you can't reverse engineer the hash. And in Bitcoin, the hash is your Bitcoin address. No one can look at your Bitcoin address, reverse engineer and say, okay, now I've figured out what your private keys are and now I can steal your Bitcoins. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that I get. So you have the address and you can't reverse engineer it because you would just come up with so many different options. You wouldn't know which is the correct one. So that is your private address. So sorry, can you just explain again, Gordon? So we understand the private address, how a public address is then generated. That part... Just so I'm, I know I'm asking you to repeat yourself, but I might interrupt along the way. Just, um, can you just go through that part again? Okay, sure. Um, well, I haven't actually talked about, so, so I, I was kind of simplifying it, but actually there's three processes. There's, um, the generation of your private key, which you could do yourself, but usually your Bitcoin wallet will do that for you. Then it generates what's called a public key. And I'm not going to go through that process, but it uses a different kind of algorithm and then that public key uses this SHA-256 algorithm and generates your Bitcoin address. So actually, um, there's 
two separate processes that go into that. Um, and it's not really important to understand those algorithms and how they work. All you really need to understand is you can't go backwards. It's a one-way function from private to public to Bitcoin address. There is absolutely no way to go from Bitcoin address back to public and back to private. Right. And is a complete... Sorry, sorry, you go. No, no, sorry. That's right. I understand that now. Yep. So as a complete aside, everyone is freaking out about quantum computing. And I think we should probably do a separate episode on this. People are freaking out that once quantum computers come online, instead of the world's fastest computer taking, you know, 20 years to reverse engineer someone's Bitcoin address, a quantum computer could do it within a couple of seconds. And, um, that's a discussion for another day. It's not possible now. It probably won't be possible for another 20 years. And so you're seeing all these blockchains and altcoins based on this. This blockchain is um, quantum resistant. You can't uh, reverse engineer our um, addresses unlike you can Bitcoin. Bitcoin's going to get destroyed by quantum computing. That's what they're talking about, reversing, reverse engineering Bitcoin um, addresses. Okay. So at the moment... Yeah, we, you can't reverse engineer a Bitcoin address, be it private or public. Well, you can't reverse engineer a Bitcoin address. Your private keys obviously need to be known to the person who, whoever has the private keys controls the Bitcoin. But on the blockchain or on this digital ledger that we've been talking about, all you see is Bitcoin addresses. This Bitcoin address sent this amount of money to this Bitcoin address. Okay, cool. All right, um, Gordon, so we've actually just been having a very long conversation off camera here, um, which we've edited out because um, we like using real world examples to help people understand the world of Bitcoin. And that's why we actually talk about gold so much because, you know, there's just a lot of attributes that they do share. But with trying to understand this hash, this SHA-256, this is something where it's really difficult to visualize basically what is mathematics. It's hard, to, it's hard for people to visualize a mathematical equation, understand it. We tend to get fed up pretty quickly and walk away from a math problem. But you, in one of our podcasts, you mentioned a Rubik's Cube. And I think, can you go through that again? Because I think that's a nice three-dimensional way of understanding what, what we've been talking about. Yeah, so again, uh, eyes and ears are going to bleed from the cryptographers, but... Uh... Um, I'll, I'll try this again. So I mentioned the Rubik's Cube, how you start a Rubik's Cube in a jumbled state or a seemingly random state. And let's say it's a 10-sided Rubik's Cube. And then you spend time solving that puzzle, coming up with, you know, all sides the same color. You got the white, the orange, the green, the blue, and whatnot. So that's very easy to verify. And that trivial example I gave before of, you know, 100 was the output. But let's say in a Rubik's Cube, all colors being the same on the same side, that's the answer or that's the output. Well, if you wanted to reverse engineer that, you would say, okay, well, I, I can see you've finished the puzzle. It's correct. But what was your starting point? And it would be virtually, uh, practically, absolutely impossible to say, I know exactly what starting point you used when you first started this puzzle 10 minutes ago. So that's like our private key or the starting point or the inputs. That's, you know, that, that's just impossible to actually know 
um, where that person started trying to solve the Rubik's Cube. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. It's easy to visualize because you can see that you have all the colors ended up on the one side, but you have no idea how it started, what the pattern was on each side. Okay, that, that I get now. So I think that's the best way to explain it. All the colors on the same side is the output, your Bitcoin address. It's correct. It, it is what it is. It's blue, green, yellow, red. But your private key is how you started that puzzle, which is virtually impossible for anyone to be able to guess um, what that is. All right. Well, I'm, I'm very happy with that answer, Gordon. I know you've put a lot of work into this episode and explaining this is one of the more intricate things of Bitcoin. Um, so... I'm very grateful. I hope our listeners are. And uh, just once again, everyone, thank you for tuning in today. And please go to coincompass.com forward slash ask to submit any questions Bitcoin related. Um, can be um, technical, can be financial, can be economic, can be very, very simple. This was one of our trickier questions, which is why I didn't say much. I left it for Gordon. Um, and Gordon, what else can people find on coincompass.com this month? Well, feel free to ask some more uh, technical, economic, and financial questions so Faris can be grilled for once in these episodes. On coincompass.com slash free, you can find uh, this podcast, our YouTube channel, all kinds of other resources, free newsletters, ebooks, and other things, including our free webinar that we've got coming up. So feel free to go to that and check out the dates, times, and what content we'll be covering. Well, thank you for listening, everyone, and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of 30 Days of Bitcoin. Bye, everyone. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.